Thank you for joining us. This is Paul Wilson. And Chris Hemke. And you're listening to Diesel Performance Podcast. Today we are joined by special guest Nick Pregnitz. Nick, how the hell are you? Great, guys. Thanks for having me. You wouldn't even Super let us intro you, man. Yeah. You, were, you were like, you were there. Excited to be mm. back. Yep, had to jump in. <laughs> <laughs> Thought that's what we were doing. Um, Nick, we've had you on the show, I don't know, a dozen times or so. Um, obviously, I think everyone knows Chris and I work here for you every day uh, over at Calibrated Power Duramax Tuner. We've asked you all sorts of first questions to, to have you on the show and kind of kick us off. Chris, what was the question we landed on asking today? So, well... The whole topic of today is talking about complexity of ECMs and getting into tuning. And we asked Nick how he's gotten started with diesels, but how did you physically get into tuning? Like, what made you plug into your truck and, and read the file? Like, what, what does that look like? Like, how did you get started doing that? Well, I was reading CarCraft as a kid, and I kind of, like, kept reading all these things about guys turning screws on carburetors, and then with the Grand Nationals and later model TPI stuff, just this, just the ability to find extra horsepower that wasn't in the parts list. So, you know, they'd say, like, you know, we installed a new intake, performer RPM intake, and then this is what it made, and then once we jetted it correctly, it picked up another so many horsepower, right? And so, similarly, on EFI motors, and then, you know, of course than on diesels so that you know taking that interest in bringing everything together and uh, putting the polish on something really finding those you know i'll call them those free those free powers uh, <laughs> being able to make modifications being able to change timing being able to make small adjustments you know as you're uh, as you're driving and, and finally hone your hot rod is kind of a a privilege i i thought as a as a youngster and just kind of kept developing that how old were you when you tuned your first vehicle I mean, I was definitely tinkering with the timing in the in the jets and stuff on my car in high school. Uh, the first car that I tuned was a LS motor car, so a 98 uh, LS1. Yeah, I think you know, I was in my early 20s. Early How about 20s. the diesel? How about your Duramax? Um, I want to say maybe 23, 24 okay. when I tuned my first Duramax. Yeah, somewhere around there. And that was the gold truck? No, that was a custom. Uh, <laughs> I put an ad on Craigslist. And said, you know, I have uh, EFI Live. I use it to tune my Camaro. And if anybody has a Duramax and is interested in being a guinea pig, you know, hit me up. And and fucking Craigslist Day, somebody actually replied to that and showed up with their new, I I mean, very new. (laughs) Their new truck. Very new truck. And saw a 23, 24-year-old child. (laughs) Man child. (laughs) And and literally was like, go ahead and plug into my OBD2 port. That's insanity. So, yeah. Yeah. It was a new, I mean, it was a new LB7. (laughs) Forums then aren't like they are now, right? Right. We know that. Right. Also, the ability to gain stock files back then, you were able to read the base file off of the truck. Sure, yeah. Any vehicle you tune, you had to read the so file off it. Yep. Walk us through. What was what was that first Craigslist find, right? Like that guy calls you up, says, hey, I have this LB7. I want you to tune me up. What that look like? Yeah, so he had been running an edge juice with attitude. It was a ZF6 LB7, <laughs> and he had, uh, he had a stock clutch in it. So I remember he was concerned about the clutch. It was a regular cab two-wheel drive truck. So it spun the tires mostly. It didn't really hurt the clutch too bad. But he was, had been logging his zero to 60 times and was like, you know, it hurt if I live was the way to go. And I think there were a few other guys out there, you know, like uh, Ridge Runner, Kennedy, um, maybe Bobo. Uh, you know, some of those early guys were out there tinkering around. So we just started started adding pulse width and started bumping the timing up and just kind of kept 
creeping up on it and you know like oh did that sound weird was there a weird sound oh the egt's went over 1350 yeah we should probably you know take it easy like <laughs> you know extremely like nervous and and you know i i didn't have any money to fix this guy's truck if i broke it so that, that was a problem right if that if that happened and uh, i didn't get the impression that he was overly wealthy and could risk you know blowing up his vehicle so we were both uh, I think he knew what he was getting into. He was a younger guy, too, with maybe a union job or something, you know, and just was looking for a deal. And I think he was excited to, like, go through the software with me, too, like he was had a tuner mentality. So, um, yeah. Does that well, answer the question? Did you blow it up? <laughs> no, I mean, oh, where no, the, no. the – come on. No, I didn't blow it up. No, we, we went back and forth. I mean, we were buddies for probably a year after that, you know, going back and forth, trading trading files, uh, trying different stuff, you know, him kind of giving me feedback on how the truck was running and that kind of thing. That's awesome. Now, what were the resources that you used in knowing to play with pulse with, knowing to play with timing? Because those, in my opinion, those are diesel terminology, you know, type tables that you would play with, at least the pulse with is. Sure. So coming from, you know, a gas engine, talking about like, you know, uh, I know like injectors, duty cycles, timing, stuff like that. Like, how did you know to adapt? And those were the tables you needed to play with. I don't know. Um, I, I remember looking through the first LB7 file and thinking this makes more sense to me than the LS stuff did at first. And just like, oh, well, if I just pretend that the injectors are bigger, this is how I could make it think that, right? And so if I do that, you know, just thinking of ways I could get more fuel in the combustion chamber um, and then what would happen with the boost and, and how I should maybe tinker with timing. I, I, it was a lot of experimentation, to be honest, Chris. Um I, there was no, there was no book. There was no guide. There was no handbook. I mean, the only thing out there was McRat's 2020, uh, how to, how to tune your vehicle. And <laughs> I think SoCal might have given you a base file if you bought EFI Live from him, which I hadn't. But maybe a base file might have come across my desk somehow. Um, yeah, there, there wasn't a lot of information, man. I, I don't know. Okay, so uh, the Evolution LB7 Gen One Duramax, right? Yeah. As times progressed, right? I mean, now you've you know, made a business out of this. Yeah. <clears throat> you tune. Uh, we we play with a lot of ECMs at this company, right? <laughs> sure. It's not yep. just LB7s. Of course not. So what has been some of the challenges, I guess, maybe in your early years as you started to gain support on the different controllers? And then I think the ultimate thing is, is what is that? What's the difference in today's world, right? So yeah. can you walk us through some of that? Yeah. Well, I'll start with the LB7. You kind of have to have a grasp of like what, what things point to what things so you can kind of understand the evolution a little bit so the lb7 is set up in a way where you push the pedal position you push the, the throttle pedal or the pedal under your foot right and that that pedal basically tells the ecu i want more or less power so what you want ideally from a from a good running engine is uh, predictable and smooth output if if, you, if if the engine gives the driver what it wants it's done a great job if it meets the emission standard, it's done an amazing job, right? Like, um, so th- those are those are like the two big things. So trying to get the truck to, to smoothly give the driver what it needs. So in LB7, you push the pedal and you push it between zero and one hundred percent, and depending on how fast how fast the engine is spinning, so RPM, uh, you get a certain fuel rate, and that fuel rate is is basically how much fuel is injected per stroke of the engine, um, and that fuel rate. You know, when mixed properly with air and when injected at the right pressure and uh, the right timing will produce a certain amount of torque. So 
that's all implicit in the in the LB7. Like I I tell it the fuel rate, and I basically like, you know, I think you should probably land about 300 foot pounds or 600 foot pounds or whatever it should be. Like that's kind of, you know, that's what the engineers are working towards, is trying to get that torque to be smooth and consistent. The LBZ is kind of like the next generation of that, like a torque-based ECM. So in the LBZ, you have this next layer of throttle control, which kind of looks like you push the pedal, and instead of in the LB7 where you push the pedal 50% and you get 60 mm3 or 55 mm3 or whatever it is, depending on RPM, on the LBZ, you say, I push the pedal 50% and I want 230 foot-pounds. And then that ECM goes back and says, okay, how do I make 230 foot-pounds of torque? And it looks back and it says, okay, I need, I need this much fuel and I need this much air. And I need to understand if the air conditioning is running. And I need to understand if there's any other, uh, if there's maybe cold oil in the system. And so it makes all these little adjustments to try and make sure that the output is consistent to the driver every time. Even if there's other stuff going around externally to the vehicle. So basically what you, what you get is this smoother and smoother running engine um, not to mention in the, in the L, uh, lb7 you know you have one pilot event in the lbz you have the opportunity for multiple pilot events and post injection as well to kind of smooth out the, the ramping of cylinder pressure so that takes more ecu control you also have egr control in the lbz you have variable geometry turbocharging so you're commanding how much boost you want whereas in the lb7 you're basically saying everything's fine unless you go over this boost amount <laughs> or everything's fine unless you're this far under the desired boost amount. Like, there's a desired boost in the LB7, but you can't get anything out of it because <laughs> it's a wastegated <laughs> turbocharger, right? So it's basically just the ECU doing diagnostics in the LB7 for the boost system. So you can see where these layers, like, they add up really quickly. And, like, to control all these um, ancillary systems, you know, it takes a lot more operating system capability. It takes a lot more calibration capability. What's the first time you got you as as a community diesel community was really locked out of an ECM because LB sevens, it sounds like EFI Live came out shortly after the LB sevens did. And you pretty much had access to tuning them off the bat. Like if you could figure it out, you had access to figure it out. Um, LLYs was that same thing when LLYs came out. The right away having access. So I came into the game during the LLY was tunable already okay. scene, and the LBZ had just come out and was just being released basically by EFI Live. So they were saying, you know, EFI Live got into the LBZ very quickly after it came out. Okay. Um, same with the LMM. Uh, I would say the LML was probably the first, like, we're locked out situation gotcha. that I remember, um, and that was, you know, for, for uh, several years. I want to say two or three years. Um, so we basically was stuck taking apart the LML ECU uh, behind the scenes, taking the back cover <laughs> off and communicating it, uh, you know, in boot mode. Um, so that you know, that just adds a major layer of complexity. And like every time you want to make a change, the ECM has to come out of the truck, the back cover has to come off. So you have this like bastardized ECU in your truck all the time, and that, you're always wondering like, oh, if I drive in a rainstorm, like, am I? Is this the end of it? <laughs> that was back in like Union. The shop was in Union, that was and 2011, yeah. 2012. Yeah, yeah, right, right yeah. In there, right? Yeah, yeah. I want to say probably a year within a year of the LML coming out, we were we were like you know, BDM style <clears throat> tuning it, but right. but as far as being able to tune it with EFI Live, it was multiple years. Um, yeah, so I mean, it, 
to to get you know I had a good running truck I just couldn't like couldn't tune it with EFI Live and so it's like how how do I scale this I'm not gonna bring ECUs in here and cut them all apart like it just that seemed crazy at that time. Yeah. Even though, even though <laughs> most of the business still then was just transitioning from bench flash ECMs to autocals, but like autocals completely changed like the ability to be a remote tuner. Yeah, definitely changed the ability to be a remote tuner. Um, and like you said, I mean, I started the business. I was tuning ECMs. Uh, I remember Ridge Runner was tuning ECMs. The other guys were all tuning LB7 ECMs. So you're you're basically sending an LB7 ECM and someone's bench flashing it. Which is not a big deal because you don't have to take it apart to do that. Right. In LML, you would have to take the ECU apart, and it was the back cover was RTV'd on. So, like, you know, you're getting in this situation where you, you have this like hermetically sealed <laughs> thing, and you're taking it apart, and you have to RTV it and put it back together. It's a lot of quality control yeah, it's issues. Quality at that control point. issues. Yeah. yeah, and you've got guys. I mean, these are trucks. Are, what was the LB7? Thirty-five grand. You know, the, by the time the LML is out, like you're talking fifty, sixty thousand dollar yeah. trucks. You know, Denali's and they're fairly new, and like I don't want to be put in the position where i've downed somebody's truck because i haven't resealed their ecm correctly um, so that that was kind of a bit of a sketchy moment yeah yeah what does that look like <clears throat> so getting into the newer models like we'll talk i guess l5p you know because we, we yeah talk so about... so getting into the lmls how much did emissions change knowing how to tune like like because that's really when def hit i mean obviously you've been dealing with egrs DPF's a little bit in the LMMs. I don't know how much tuning really changed as far as, like, oh, you tune the LMM so much differently than an LBZ, right? Like, right, right. I, I don't know how much is there. But I know in the LML, all of a sudden you had this new element with new controls, with new parameters, and new standards to be able to keep up to. Yeah, the LML was really the first time where it was like, okay, we got to get serious about tuning emissions on trucks. Like, these things aren't going anywhere it's not leaving like we need to really focus on how to get the truck to run correctly to behave um, to you know pass emissions if it needs to um, and then to have re reasonable regen cycles so like the the pressure was on to learn yeah uh, and learn as quickly as possible which meant testing and trying out a lot of different cals and and really um you know going the hard way <laughs> through a lot of uh, a lot of iterations and and you know filling up filling dpf up quickly a lot of times learning out you know learning that what you're doing is wrong um that that was the big that was the big pressure on the lml you know the, a lot of the complexity in these ecus is based on emissions controls and so you know for all these different emission systems you have d soot you have warm-up you have different modes so you know not only do you have uh, more systems you're controlling, but you're controlling them in different modes. So, like, it's a multiple of, right? Not just you have five more systems, but now you have three modes for those five systems. So you have 15 <laughs> times the need um, for, you know, for controller and capacity. Um, so, yeah, it was that was uh, some really, you know, tough years of learning how to get really good control of that ECU and when to mess with it and when not to. That's interesting, too, because I, I, I know I remember dealing with, like, customer service more back then in, like, those 13, 14-year eras where we had just started getting into LMLs. And I'm thinking back to, like, the need to send out a revision for a tune on yeah. something that's brand new, that has all of this new complexity to it, um, and then getting into things like, oh, TCM tuning needing an update and things of that nature, where it wasn't... 
it wasn't just the engine that that I remember being things that were new that had to be learned. Uh, can you talk a little bit about TCM tuning? Because an LB7 TCM tuning, God forbid I say this wrong, but I seem to remember telling guys mostly on an LB7, like if you're a stock truck with a, a stock trans tune, if you're not doing second gear start, like I don't know how much in you know 2015 you were really going to get out of a TCM tune. Sure, like if you didn't need sure. second gear start, what are we doing? And then we got to the LMLs, and I remember it being, oh, not only are there you know revisions coming out around engine control, but trans controllers had changed quite a bit as well. Yeah. So on the LB7s, um, you know, basically the only time we were really tuning transmissions was if the D fuel had to come on or off, or if the customer had a larger turbocharger and dramatically changed the operating range of the engine. So yeah. that was like the main thing where we tuned the TCM. <clears throat> On the LML, you know, now you have internal pressure control. So we're learning around that, like how to make the, tr the trans shift sm uh, smoother, but also to get increase the clutch holding capacity. Um, changing the shift schedule. So the shift schedule is really tied closely to the uh, throttle position and you know, anytime you're changing the power curve of the engine or where the power is delivered on the throttle, that changes the shift points. So those two things tie together really closely. Um, what it comes down to, I think, for you in 1314 was you saw that I had the LB7 worked out well. Yeah. Right? The thing ran. Like, we didn't have issues with LB7 tunes. Nobody called back and was like, I don't like the way this runs. The policy on troubleshooting was if somebody calls in with an LB7 complaining about the tune, continue to troubleshoot the truck because it's not the tune. It's not the tune, right? It's... On the LML, all of a sudden you were seeing, like, maybe it's the tune. <laughs> <laughs> right? That never got uttered. Right, sure. Well, we yeah. can look back now <laughs> nine, ten years later and say, like, okay, yeah, there were some early tunes that maybe weren't perfect. I mean, you got to think that was, like, an early, like, TCM was just starting to get real popular. You know, yeah. A40s, A50s. Yeah. Yeah. So. so we had some situations where, you know, the trucks weren't shifting great or maybe we didn't have the pressure control set up right. Um, I mean, we had trucks that occasionally, you know, the early stuff, remember, had some regen control issues. Like, it'd go, it would regen a little too frequently, especially if the guys were beating on it. Um, I would say we've gotten past that. Uh, we're certainly in a position now where we know the LMM stuff runs really well. We know you have to work at it to really, like, hurt the truck and, and yeah. you know, yeah. uh, be stupid with it. Um, when we know mostly it's mechanical issues if the guys have issues, which is where we want to be, right? We want to have... <laughs> the the R&D process, too, as well, because I do remember as well of, like, reaching out to guys on forums or being on Facebook and saying, hey, we're getting started. What customers would like to get involved on getting tested and getting early iterations or calling dealers and having dealers test it because, hey, you know, we know this guy and we know we're going to get good feedback from him and things like that. And some of the, the testing and development of how you do it when you're a small business and there was – eight of us or six of us or whatever yeah, it was yeah. and then now where you know there's 40 people in the building and how you do it and what what the operation is to like fine-tune something those are just two different worlds well yeah i mean you're talking about i mean what what you're saying is that we have a lot more money now to spend on r&d right <laughs> like we have more people we have more trucks we have a bigger place we have the, not the Craigslist ad. Not the Craigslist <laughs> two-wheel drive LB7. I'm not going to test <laughs> tunes on customers' trucks that I haven't run before. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's not something we do. It seems crazy today, doesn't it? It's like you look back and you're like, oh, my God, that risk of, like, yeah, that was 10 years ago. You, you know? <laughs> you're yeah. thinking, like, well, I was 10 years younger. You, you know, like, <laughs> my assessment of risk and, and other people's assessment of risk and who would jump in to, to do something risky like that. Yeah. It was very different. It was, it was. It was. I mean, I was 24, 25, right? Like, you take those risks when you're that age because 
you got nothing to lose. Like it doesn't seem like it anyway, right? Yeah. And now I'm not that age anymore, <laughs> and uh, go about things a little more calculated. That's it, it is, and 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 as that's come up, I I think some of that has has clearly been maturity, right? You get older and you start to look at things different, uh, but also some of that's been forced with like like learning that through the LML. Then we get to the L5P. Um, and I think we can go back and talk about some of the Cummins stuff as well, because I know the evolution of Cummins ECMs was some what I would call more jagged jumps. They just kind of went from a, a, <laughs> nothing to everything. A way, <laughs> th- th- I, I will, I will, I'm not going to downplay because I would never go and tune a Cummins, right? That's sure. that is not my skill set by any means. But knowing the people who who have learned to tune a Cummins to to tuning like a third gen and then jumping into you know a 2020. Oh yeah. To, Two, two very different, different worlds, world, yeah, right? Sure. Uh, but what about the L5P? That was a huge splash in the market. I, I, I remember the R&D that went on for that and the hype that was around that. I remember the amount of calls that we would get on a daily fucking basis asking if we could tune in L5P yet. Uh, can you talk a little bit about getting into that and, and what that, that learning curve looked like? Yeah, the L5P, you know, we went from a Bosch controller in the LML, uh, Bosch control systems, and you kind of get used to the language and the layout and just like, you almost have to get the intuition of the Bosch engineer. Like whoever put this thing together, you kind of start to think like them. And so when the L5P came out and we got access to it, it was a Delphi controller. So, you know, when you look at it, a lot of it looks similar, but then there's also parts of it that are different and there's logic that's set up a little differently. And so I think we had um, one major thing we had going for us was our L5P stuff was on lockdown, man. It was running good we could trust it we knew it worked we knew the strategy worked so it was really just a matter of applying that same strategy to the l5p which meant finding all those tables right (laughs) getting the l5p to perform making sure we had all the tables all the torque limiters we had control the ecu to get full power so like when you go through tuning the first thing we're going to try and do is make all the power right like we need to hit the horsepower number and then we're going to come back and say, okay, how do we do it reliably, and how do we make sure drivability is great? So that was the first thing we did in the L5P was make sure we can get all the fuel out of it, make sure we can get the boost, make sure we can get the, the target numbers where we need to get them, make sure we're at the limit of the factory hard parts. Like, can we control this thing to get the limit? Okay, yes, finally we've gotten there. Um, and then and then come back and say, okay, are all the safeties in here that we had on the LML? You know, does this thing drive as smooth as our LML tunes drive? Well, if not, like, where are those tables? Where you know, where are those little guys? That maybe uh, those little jagged edges, right? Those little pieces where it's like, oh, it's not supposed to shift like that, or it's not supposed to, you know, take off like that, or that sounds a little rough right there. You know, any of that stuff, kind of ironing that out backwards. Uh, but I would say, you know, the help we had with HBT, they were really eager and w- willing to listen. Like, hey, we need these tables. Um, we had a lot more in, uh, accessibility on the back end of the file to like find that stuff than we did when we first started with the LML. Um, so, you know, getting through that, that's basically what it looked like getting the L5P. Yeah. Was there ever a time getting into the newer ECMs where you're like, this strategy can be applied into an older ECM to help refine drivability or anything along those lines? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I would, I'm I'm trying to think of an exact, um, spot where it, you know, where it makes sense. Um, certainly we took... I've taken, you know, things that I've learned tuning the LML and then the L5P and and gone back. You know, we spent so much time on the LML, so much time on the L5P getting it to run right, and then 
like the assumption, not the assumption, the you know the understanding in, in our business is like, oh, our LBZ stuff and our LB7 stuff runs great. Like, why are you going to go back and change it? Yeah. And I was like, well, I I think there's an opportunity to to clean up the LBZ stuff a little, you know, like to make the truck clean throughout the whole operating range to really like be the best. Does it feel like going back to read something you wrote in high school at that point? Like you ever gone back and like, like why my did mom, I do this? My mom stumbled across like a, some paper I wrote in high school and like it's like a one pager and I'm reading it and I'm like, what the fuck would I write this? This is like, I would never write this. Yes. Um, or I've even read blogs from here from five years ago where I read it and I'm like, oof, good yeah. first swing. Um, Dude, that is that's exactly about what it. I felt like. Yeah. Yeah, that is exactly the feeling I had going into it. I mean, it, and I knew the stuff ran great. That's the hard it does, part, right? Yeah. You look at it and you're like, ah, oh, the things I had to do to kind of like make it all come together. Like some of it, you know, not exactly sanitary. Like on the on the top side, you know, looking looking from the top down. And then it's like, oh, well, I can just take away this like hocus pocus stuff that I had to use, and I can do it the right way here, right? Yeah. Like, okay. And who knows? Maybe in ten years from now, I'll look back and be like, you know, there's an even better way. But, like, man, I was such a hack, right? <laughs> well, I think you have to. You, you have to respect the resources the person has at that time. Too. Well, you do. No, there's there's a reality to what you're saying though, because I drove that stuff and it did run great. But like, however, however it was done, sure. it, I don't I don't care, right? Because I'm not a tuner. So to me, I'm like, well, I got in the truck, it ran great, and it was safe. Yeah, sounds like I have the, the truck ten years later. Like, you know, and, yeah, like and we yeah. do, we have them come back where we've talked to guys who have been running our tuning since God knows when. And um, well, and the best is you put the new updated stuff in their truck and they don't like it. And I'm like, <laughs> why do I even bother? Um, and I know that it's better. I know, <laughs> like, but they, you know, people just get in their routine. They like it, and if it lasts ten years, I mean, who am I to say it's not reliable? Yeah. You know, or yeah. not as reliable? Like, clearly, it works. What would you say as far as a, a newcomer coming into this, right? And I think we all here can consider what you do in the tuning lane. You're kind of like a pioneer of, right? You're one of the first and, and longest lasting guys that are doing this. But from someone who potentially might have gotten started in this 10, 15 years ago to someone who could potentially get started today or tomorrow getting into this, granted, resources are a little different, but you think it's harder or easier for someone to get into it today? I think there's a lot more resources for someone looking to get into it today. Um, you know, I, I think as far as the getting the growing the business, you know, the marketing side, that was, you know, you talked about the forums, uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, social media, I mean, whatever you're you're doing to get yourself out there right it's live by the sword die by the sword situation is probably my advice like however fast you grow on the platform you're using that's just that's how fast they can cut you down if they want to right so like you need to understand that <laughs> that's that's an important thing that I, that i i would try and put in somebody's head you know as they're as they're growing um controlling your growth right like just because you can just doesn't mean that you should uh situation um but i've never known that to be you i sure. don't know what i don't know <laughs> he's this looking is, through you right now he's not advice, looking at you this is the advice you give your kids based on what you did wrong this right is, exactly yeah. yes yes is that what you're asking for or what do you what do you want me to say um, no that it, it, it's funny you bring that up though because we, we've seen this we don't got to call anybody up but we've seen guys blow up on just a facebook group yeah just one guy they're that go-to They'll jump into that Facebook group. They're super, super helpful. We used to see this on the forums all the time. Somebody jumps in, all of a sudden they're like, you can just tell they're like, 
I don't know if I lost. they lost their job or they've just lost their mind, and they're like, I'm going to spend all my time. I'm going to be super helpful. I'm going to sell everything super cheap. That's usually like a guaranteed flag sure. on it. And all of a sudden, they blow up. And then what happens is generally they blow up to the point that they stop returning phone calls. They stop replying to emails. Their lead time goes from the same day to, to three months. All of a sudden, nobody can get a hold of them. They overwhelm themselves. They burn out and they ghost the world. Oh, so you mean the same reason they grew is the reason they fell? That's, that's, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. It, it's crazy when you think back to how many times we've seen that flash in the pan come up. How how do you avoid so it, though? Times. Because so many times. if somebody, if, if you put yourself into something and people are willing to give you money, how do you spot that to say, I need more infrastructure? You, you, and I'm assuming usually infrastructure is the answer to be able to handle growth, right? Infrastructure is the answer. Pricing yourself appropriately is another huge answer, right? Yes, some people aren't going to buy from you, but that's going to pace your business. So I think one of the one of the things that allowed me to, to avoid that flash in the pan was that I didn't discount my tunes. I didn't discount myself. <laughs> like, yeah. I knew that people wanted custom tunes. They wanted a custom experience. They wanted to talk to somebody. So once the business started making money, start paying people to answer the phones, right? And people who weren't idiots. Like you need people who are enthusiasts, who are smart, who can, you know, who can match wit with the people who are going to be calling in. Because otherwise I have to talk to everybody. Otherwise you have to talk to everybody. Yeah. Right? And if you're not willing to talk to everybody, like you got to pay somebody to do it. Or you have to charge an amount that makes you excited to talk to everybody. Which is not a small amount, probably. If you're <laughs> what, what I used to hear this a lot was, uh, if if you do it good, don't do it cheap. Right. That's, yeah. I feel yeah. like that's something I definitely learned at Duramax Tuner. Yeah. <laughs> it's. I think it's probably the the thing that saved us from you know, from going upside down and and you know. Yeah. Trying to trying to get it as big as possible as a one man band. Yeah. Well, there is too. I, I know, and, and there's definitely guys out there who want to be small. They they want to be. I'm. A, I am a one man band, and I'm going to work just with the people that I like, and and that's fine. We we've seen a yeah. handful of those guys be very successful, very successful. and very comfortable I mean, over time. I have time. some friends who are those guys. Yeah, right? Right. Like, I don't mean to shit on those guys. <laughs> no, I like them. No, it's it's not. It's it's. I I think it's a point too. Is I don't know any of those guys to also go and do it cheap. Not any of the ones that are still around, right. right? Like I think that's the difference of being the flash in the pan and being sustainable, regardless of what size of a company you want to grow to. Um, you know, is is yeah. If you're going to do it good, don't do it cheap. Mm -hmm. I think I, that makes sense. I think as the business uh, grows, right, and as as things uh, progressed that gave opportunity to get into other platforms and other ECUs, you know, so you had asked the question about Cummins, you know, Chris, five, you've, nine, six, you've seven. tuned Cummins for a handful of years I did, when you yeah, were here. Yeah, yeah. Um, tuned your own Cummins. I did. Yeah. Allegedly. I don't know if I believe it still. Um, <laughs> what, what was learning to tune? Did you learn to tune common rails when you came to, to calibrate it? I had a 12 valve when I started with That's, this company. Um, Nick would always sit down with me on on Fridays, uh, so he one propositioned me to, hey, you want to learn how to tune? I said yes. He's like, well, then now you have to buy a truck, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I found a truck on Craigslist, nice and cheap, two wheel drive unit, real clean truck, and um, we would sit down every Friday, and he would explain different tables to me based off of what I understood in the mechanical injection world on a P pump. This did this, this did this, and I would play around. I mean. 
I think my old computer, I had 400 files that I would build just playing with different things and learning and having to, you know, pull off on the side of the road and the truck didn't want to pull out of the intersection (laughs) because it's something I did, Um, you know, to the end of that truck's life of my ownership. It had a built motor. It had a big fuel system in it. Um, I remember it was like a Tuesday morning. Me and Nick were sitting on the dyno running the truck with one of our prototype stealths, you know, making some pretty cool power. Um, the 590 CM was a lot of fun for someone like myself who was a little bit more simple and, you know, it's, it's hard to learn unless it's hands-on. Yeah. Um, and then you get into the 6.7 stuff and, I mean, there's a, there's a night and day difference, <laughs> you know. Did or, you, now, because the business had grown at that time, so yeah. at one point you were doing, like, production tunes yeah. while doing sales and stuff like that. Yeah. But when 6.7 support came around, because we were quite a, quite a bit of latency from what i remember of six we were, sevens coming out when in the era of what i was playing with it was the the third gen six seven and the third right. gen oh six oh seven five nine which it's different but uh, very simplistic in that ecm for the six seven i was not around f- in, in tuning the 10 12 or the 13 plus yeah so that's that's where i uh, exited the chat so <laughs> to speak yeah no chris brings up some really good points i mean if you're driving the truck that's great incentive to make it drive well right like Mm -hmm. getting stuck in an intersection or having the throttle go dead on your wife is a really good and really good incentive (laughs) to fix a problem oh you've had that that. (laughs) sounds so specific (laughs) was it was it the jeep that that she said do i remember that correctly the jeep she's like no more we didn't have that one very long (laughs) she refused to drive it anymore (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean like you said 400 files right so you, you know you want it to drive as good as possible. You get it in every day or you get out of it at night and you're like, there's one little thing that I remember yeah. and you make an adjustment at night, you flash it in, you drive it in the next day. And so, you know, every day you're making those iterations and you're new to the game. Okay, tune the truck that you drive every day. If if you're tuning S400 third gen Rams, drive a third gen Ram with an S400 on it. <laughs> you'll get probably pretty good at tuning it. Yeah. And then you'll know exactly how all those trucks should run and you'll be the go-to guy for tuning S400s on Rams. You know what I mean? Like that's... <laughs> That, that's my, you know, that's yeah. advice there. How about like the complexity, that. like getting into some of those newer trucks, like get into like the 15 Ram, right? Getting into the 2019 plus fifth gen Ram. Like, have you seen a lot of leaps and bounds as far as ECM architecture, similar to what we've seen in the Duramaxes? Do you just there? pull your knowledge from the Duramax and like it's just plug and play to different tables? Like, oh, it's the same tables. They're just for a Cummins instead of for a Duramax. I would say the Cummins is a lot different than the Bosch and, uh, and Delphi. The Cummins, it's like it's kind of its own world. I mean, it's similar, you know, in it's the way diesel. that they're both diesel. Right. They both have a pedal lookup table, and they both have a <laughs> torque table, and they both have a timing table. But how those tables are laid out and how many of them there are and when they're used is different in a Cummins. Really? Um, so, yeah, the Cummins is just it's a different animal. Um, I, I really like the way Cummins lays their stuff out. I think it's probably one of the... I would ha- I would say it's one of my fa- like I I like it. Maybe yeah. it's not my favorite favorite to tune, but it's it's predictable. It's done smart and methodical, and it works across. It like builds across all generations. Whereas you can tell that GM and Ford they kind of who can give me the cheapest operating system to get the job done. Well, that's what I've always kind of wondered is why the others haven't adopted that like kind of business model where Cummins is Cummins, like it, the ECM is Cummins, the Turbo is Cummins, like it's not. It doesn't so, feel matched. It doesn't yeah. feel like somebody went through a parts list and was like, you know, pick this and pick that. <laughs> yeah. Take the blue with the well, yellow. GMC, <laughs> you know, GMC and Chevy have one diesel engine. Cummins has 
is a diesel engine maker, right? Right. Like their engines are modular. They're, the the control system. I mean, a three point nine liter engine might use the same basic uh, engine control architecture as an eighteen liter engine. So like, there's not uh, there's, there's a really good incentive for Cummins to like make this thing as simple for their calibration engineers to use and the people internal there to use, so that they they can use it across this wide spectrum of engines that they make. And I mean, they're an engine maker, yeah. so why not get good at making engine controllers? Hmm. That makes sense. That's a good point. Six seven Scott. So the last thing we got into is power strokes, which there was a time I know I have told at least a hundred customers we'll never tune a power stroke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then we don't God, like those types. And then, and then, God, I think we first tuned them with Edge, didn't we? Wasn't there some Edge custom tuner that we used for like a month? Yeah, we first tuned them with Edge Insight CTS Pro. Pro. Yeah. That's right, because they didn't have enough names. We need to throw one. Yeah, more. they basically <laughs> discontinued that product, and I think we were the only ones who like, you know, tried to hit it. Tried to hit it. And <laughs> yeah, that didn't work out so hot. Um, yeah, then on the Easy Link, but I mean the Ford controller for the six point seven liter is is basically an LML setup. Damn, how does that feel, Power Stroke fans? I don't know which one just was first. Sitting that, <laughs> just. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've started to to offer a lot of support in the Power Stroke stuff. So when and similar ECMs, right? Uh, similar fuel systems, similar turbochargers on similar later stuff. Yeah, Bosch um, and Garrett. Uh, as far as the tune strategy goes, similarities, I would assume, since it's all the same parts. Dude, it's like the parts. same it's like the same thing. Then why do I get so much more out of a of out of a power stroke? Because I'll I'll be honest, as much fun as I make fun of for it's like I've said it before, the new six of a power strokes is just really, really hard to beat and bang for buck. Yeah. For anybody who gives a shit about performance. I mean, I, they just they just move more air and they <laughs> make more power. Like I don't know what to tell you. And the transmissions <clears throat> are tunable and they get down. Nice. So yeah. it's really it's really unique to see like <clears throat> you compare a six seven power stroke to a six six Duramax and we'll keep it to an LML era. And you think of like um, you look at like where the turbocharger is positioned and where like the uh, pipes are positioned and all of that. Like there is definitely something to be said about air in, in the pathway and how far it needs to travel to utilize that as energy. Yeah. So, I mean, that has to be something, you know, as far as power potential and, and what mean, those capabilities are. You could pitch me are. five theories and I could nod yes to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, it makes more power. So. I love it. Um, okay, so so now we're we're up against the next generation of ECMs, and, and what I hear less about is increasing complexity over the last two or three iterations here, the, since 18 or so, and more about ECM security. Yeah. Um, how much does that play into the business model? Like, as we look, we're tuning 21 across the board. 20, 21 across the board, yep, on all three platforms. And then 22 in a Duramax. 23. We oh, already got a 23 yeah, out. 23 in a okay. What what's changed? Like why why have we seen this shift now? And what do you think that plays out for the future? Yeah, these manufacturers, you know, you used to have to worry about the manufacturers every time a new tier of emissions came out because that would be their major release for a new ECU. Right? right. Like that was when it was like, oh shit, if they all land at the on one year, like it's going to be a lot of R and D and it's going to be a while before we get into them all. Now it's every other year, every year, there's some incremental security change you know and for what reason you know you'll have to ask the oems that um, oh i will yeah I'm sure, I'm sure they'd be happy to answer that for you all i can tell you is that it makes our lives difficult yeah um you know you're not talking to the security 
code breaking guy. That's not my job, right? I, I basically am the calibration guy. I make sure that the engine runs well once we have access. So I have to rely on somebody to get through the security for me. Um, and as far as the business model goes, it means that we have to uh, forecast not being able to tune a truck for two or three years once it comes out or once a sure. model year comes out, right? And this business is built on being on the cutting edge of technology. We are we are a leader in that space. We tune the new trucks. I mean, we also tune the old trucks, and we do it damn well, but tuning the new trucks is where the bread and butter is for us. Yeah. Yeah, I know when we pulled up uh, graphs looking at, you know, hey, where's interest out there? Like like the people who are who say they love us, you know, what type of truck do they have? And the skew towards newer vehicles is crazy. Yeah. Like, like yeah. you're absolutely right. Yes, we still love the LB7s. Employees still love LB7s here for whatever reason. Um, you know, we, we still have that that old truck kind of DNA, uh, but there is there is a lot of demand for something brand new and who's going to be first to it and what's that going to look like. So yeah. I know it's always something that's exciting here whenever we see R&D going on or we see somebody with a new truck and sitting down in the parking lot or get snuck onto the <laughs> dyno or something like that. There's always tons of yep. tons of buzz around the office about like, so what is it? Who's got it? What are we doing? <laughs> it's, there's more excitement, I think, for new platform development than than there is for like the excitement 10 years ago of like, oh, a thousand horse trucks going on the dyno or a triple Just another daily? Yeah. Okay. You know, a whirly truck? Right. Just another thousand horse Just truck. Just another thousand <laughs> horse truck. It's like truck. someone's got to drive that thousand horse truck. Yeah. It's not my turn. It's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure it drives well. <laughs> Are you taking the 22 Denali home? I want to take that yeah, home, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what has cooled seats? Which yeah. one? That's <laughs> the only question I have. Yes. I love it. Uh, That's pretty cool. I mean, I know I know. we, we talked a lot about tuning today. Uh, I think we'll have to have you back on to talk about turbo development and yeah. kind of what that looks like here in the future. Sure. If you had some parting advice for somebody out there who's maybe gone through your, your HPA classes, uh, so you can actually learn to tune from Nick. Mm-hmm via uh, High Performance Academy. Uh, So that's a really cool online class you guys can do. But what would you tell somebody who is here uh, saying, hey, I finished your HPA classes, what do I do next? Drive your truck, tune your truck, get your truck to where you think it runs perfect, immaculate, and find other people who have a similar risk profile to you and start tuning their trucks if that's what you want to do. Right. So if you're you're a freaking wild card, like, go on your Instagram, find some other wildcard dudes who have trucks just like you, and see if you can convince them to pay you to tune their trucks. Don't start tuning a bunch of people who are 20 years older than you and use that truck to tow an RV. <laughs> I would not advise that. It's <laughs> such a Nick response. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been Paul Wilson. And Chris Emke. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Uh, This has been Paul Wilson. And Chris Emke. Make sure to like and subscribe, and we'll talk to you again soon. Does it feel like going back to read something you wrote in high school at that point? Like, you ever gone back and, like, like why did I do this? My mom stumbled across, like, 